I'm Beth. And I'm Jimmy. And we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. Beth, how are you feeling? I'm good. How are you, Jimmy? I'm all right. Are you over your little cold? Yes. Not that you would know it, because I soldiered on. Well, you didn't complain at all, did you? No, not at all. Hmm. Okay. So we had a really good episode last week. We talked about Boyzone. We did. That was good. A nice had, little reminisce. It was very interesting to hear you recall some of your childhood, and I don't think I've been able to get out of my head the fact that you tried to do the routine, the dance routine, for so good out on your front lawn, which was on a public street. Yeah, I know. Oh. <laughs> Shall we move on? I think it might be best. So who are we talking about this week, Beth? Uh, Jarvis Cocker. Jarvis Cocker from yeah, Pulp. From Pulp, yeah. Integral part of the Britpop movement. Um, he was. Whenever I think of Pulp, do you know the song? What song is it that really springs to mind for you from Pulp? Disco 2000. Absolutely the same for me. Yeah. What a great track that is. But they had so many good tracks and their album, Different Class, was a very important album for the whole Britpop movement. It was. And, we'll, point. and we'll talk about that through the course of the episode. So, for now... Let's rewind to the 90s. Jarvis Cocker's interest in music and the arts was nurtured by his family. His mother, Sylvia Cocker, was a staunch supporter of the arts and frequently took him to art exhibitions and performances. His father, Mac Cocker, was also a musician and encouraged Jarvis's musical inclinations. Cocker grew up in the Intake area of Sheffield, which was a working-class neighbourhood. His family's economic background was modest, and his experience would later influence his songwriting, which often tackled themes related to class and everyday life. So his musical journey began early. His older sister, Saskia, introduced him to a wide range of music from punk to glam rock. And the exposure to diverse genres had a profound impact on his musical sensibilities. Jarvis's father, Matt Cocker, was a DJ and actor, and he left the family and moved to Sydney when Cocker was seven. He made no contact with Cocker or his sister, Saskia, until Jarvis was in his 30s. That was in 1998 when Jarvis and his sister travelled to Australia to meet him, where he lived in a hippie commune. That's very sad that he never had that. And I do remember hearing an interview with Jarvis Cocker where he talked about his childhood being heavily influenced by the females, right? Yeah. Because he had his sister, Saskia, and his mum, who mm-hmm. essentially raised him. It's quite sad that he didn't get to see his family. Seven, it's his father. Seven years old, and his dad just, he was a DJ and an actor, and he just got up and went to Australia. And if he went to a hippie commune, he was obviously quite laid back and relaxed about yeah. things. Yeah, I think that's quite sad. So Cocker attended various schools in Sheffield where his eccentric and creative personality sometimes set him apart from his peers. His unique fashion sense and artistic leanings made him stand out and he began to form his identity as an outsider. In 1978, when Cocker was just 15 years old, he formed the band Pulp with some of his schoolmates. The original name was Arabicus Pulp, after a tradable commodity he learnt about in an economics class. How cool is that? Cool. (laughs) So beyond music, Cocker also expressed an interest in visual arts. He attended art school and explored various forms of artistic expression. This creative background would later influence his stage presence and overall aesthetic as a performer, and he definitely had massive stage presence. He He did. He used to have those big glasses, and he'd kind of almost awkwardly wander around the stage. Mm-hmm. But he definitely had that stage presence, wasn't he? He was a real front man. He, he was. 
Growing up in Sheffield had a lasting impact on Cocker's songwriting. The city's industrial landscape, working class culture and unique atmosphere provided a rich source of inspiration for his lyrics. Now, his introverted nature during his childhood led him, led him to become a keen observer of people and situations. And this quality translated into his songwriting, where he often delved into the intricacies of human behaviour and relationships. In the beginning, pulp sound was influenced by post-punk and new wave movements. Their music had a raw DIY quality, reflecting the punk ethos of the time. Jarvis Cocker's unique vocals and observational lyrics began to define their distinctive style. So pulp emerged in Sheffield's local music scene and they were playing at small venues and honing their craft and they became part of the city's vibrant music community, which also gave rise to other notable bands like the Human League and Def Leppard. Mm -hmm. There's good tracks from both of those bands. They are, and there? you're sort of going, you know, when you think of those other bands, you're starting to get a picture of mm. what it was like. Uh, Pulp released their debut album, It, in 1983. 1983. Oh, wow. You were a little two-year-old then, Beth. Yeah, I was. I was. I was three. You were three. <laughs> the but, album... But, but, but I was three, but I don't think my musical exposure extended to the club scene in Sheffield. No, no. <laughs> no, not quite. The album showcased their early sound and marked their entry into the music industry. So throughout the 1980s, pop continued to evolve musically. They incorporated elements of synth pop and dance music into their sound, experimenting with different styles. Despite not achieving mainstream success, they did gain a loyal fan base and built a reputation for their, their energetic live performances. The band faced numerous challenges during the 1980s, including lineup changes, financial difficulties and limited recognition. By the end of the decade, Pulp went on hiatus and it seemed like their trajectory might come to an end. But their fortunes began to change in the early 1990s and this was really around the rise of the Britpop movement. Their sound had shifted again, embracing a more accessible, melodic style. The transformation led to their breakthrough album, His and Hers, which was released in 1994. And this really did propel them to the forefront of the Britpop scene. The album featured several standout tracks that went on to become fan favourites, such as Do You Remember the First Time, Lip Gloss, Babies, Acrylic Afternoons and Joy Rhymes. I remember Lip Gloss. Yeah, yeah. So many of the album's tracks explore the mundane and sometimes awkward aspects of everyday life, often focusing on relationships and urban living. Jarvis Cocker's ability to capture the ordinary with a poetic touch contributed to the album's authenticity. Different Class was the fifth studio album from Pulp, released on October 30th, 95. It is widely considered one of the most iconic albums of the Britpop era and defining work in Pulp's catalogue. The album's themes of social commentary, class divide and human relationships, combined with the catchy melodies and Jarvis Cocker's distinctive vocals, propelled it to critical and commercial success. And this was the album that really brought Pulp to life mm. for me. I think it's the, the songs on this album that we probably most remember them for. Yeah, yes. Fantastic album. Mm. So the title of the album was Cocker's Idea, and this was after he heard a friend use the term out in a club. So the double meaning of different class wasn't lost on him. So you had the allusions to the British social class system, but also, you know, when someone does something good, and you're like, oh, that's different class. Yes, yeah. 
So Different Class elevated pop to new heights of fame and acclaim. It produced several hit singles that resonated with a wide audience, including Common People, Disco 2000, Sorted for Ease and Whiz, and Miss Shapes. And it's the first two of those songs yeah. that really stand out for me. Common People was incredible. And it was him going along a supermarket yeah. tr- trolley, wasn't it? Yeah. Again, it goes back to his social observance, I guess, where... Mm. He's looking at the richer ladies looking for a bit of rough, you know, the, the, where being poorer suddenly became a bit cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was a thing at the time, and he really captured that within that song, yeah, Common song. People. Definitely. And Disco 2000. Mm. I'm going to let the listeners into a little secret. So normally we'll play a song before we record the, yeah. the podcast, and today we played Disco 2000. <laughs> and it is such a great song. It is a good song. It is a good song. Great melody in there. Just a great song. Great song. Although when you think yeah. about it, one of the lyrics was, you were the first girl at school to get breasts. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. That was just, I, don't, I knew the words when it came and I started singing it, but I'd never really considered they were no. part of the words of the song. <laughs> so many tracks on the album provide a sharp commentary on the socioeconomic disparities in British society. And... Common people, as I, I talked about, critiques the fascination of the privileged class with the struggles of the working class. Different Class received widespread critical acclaim upon its release. It earned the prestigious Mercury Prize in '96 and further solidifying its status as a seminal work. The album's relatable storytelling, memorable hooks and Cocker's charismatic delivery were lauded by reviewers. So at the 1996 Brit Awards, there was a moment that <laughs> became quite famous at the time. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember. So Jarvis Cocker famously invaded the stage during Michael Jackson's performance of Earth Song. And this unexpected incident became one of the most memorable moments in Brit Awards history. And here is what happened. So during Michael Jackson's performance of Earth Song, while he was surrounded by children and a rabbi, Jarvis Cocker ran onto stage. He mimicked certain dance moves, including bending over and shaking his butt to mimic a part of Jackson's performance. It looked like he mooneyed, but Jarvis denied it was a moonie. And he says his actions were intended as a form of protest and satire as he saw the extravagant performance as pretentious and out of touch with the issues faced by ordinary people. Now, Beth, I don't know about you, but to me... That's a moonie all day long. Yeah, oh, totally. It was a moonie, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. He pulled his trousers down and showed the crack of his butt to yeah, the stage. that was a moonie. Which is different to how he recalls the, the incident. But yeah, it was certainly a moonie. But I understand the, what he was protesting mm. against. I, I remember the performance being like, Michael Jackson was like higher power. Yeah. And it was a bit, it was a bit crass. Too far, yeah. So Michael Jackson at the time said, I'm sickened, saddened, shocked, upset, cheated and angry, but immensely proud that the cast remained professional and the show went on. So he had lots of different feelings <laughs> about it. Cocker's invasion of the stage was spontaneous and unplanned. He later explained that he was frustrated by the grandiosity of the performance and felt that it was at odds with the sincerity of the event, which was meant to celebrate music and honour artists. His actions were widely interpreted as a symbol of the gap between celebrities' excess and the struggles of everyday life. Cocker said, My actions were a form of protest in the way Michael Jackson sees himself as some kind of Christ-like figure with the power of healing. He also said it was nothing personal against Jackson and that he was a fan of his music. The incident generated significant media attention and both praise and criticism. While some lauded Cocker for his audacity and satirical commentary, 
Others accused him of disrespecting Michael Jackson and the event itself. Cochran Polk faced backlash from certain quarters, but many also saw the incident as a moment of authenticity and a break from the scripted nature of award shows. So people quite liked it. <laughs> I think so. And people like a bit of drama, don't yeah. they? I, I, I remember at the time I was entertained by it. In the aftermath, and this may shock you, Beth, in the aftermath, Cocker was questioned by the police. He was not charged with any criminal offence, but Bob Mortimer was at the Brits, and did you know he was a former solicitor? No, I didn't know that. So he represented no. Jarvis at the police station. <laughs> well, I'd love to have seen that. That would have been amazing. Oh, my gosh. So Bob Mortimer was his legal representation. That is it, yeah. The incident added to Cocker's reputation as a voice of social commentary and a critique of celebrity culture. It also became a lasting memory associated with both Jarvis Cocker and the Brit Awards, and that was really around highlighting the unpredictable and spontaneous nature of live events. Hulk released two more albums, one in 98 and one in 2002, before going on an extended hiatus. So they'd been together many years, and by the early 2000s, they'd released several albums and undergone various musical shifts. This creative evolution and the pressures of consistently producing new material might have led to creative exhaustion at the time or a desire to explore other musical avenues. The musical landscape was shifting in the early 2000s. The Britpop movement, which had brought pop to the forefront, was waning and musical trends were evolving. The band members might have felt the need to step back and assess their place within this changing environment. It's quite grown up to do that, isn't it? It is, but you have to remember... They were a bit older than everybody else around mm. at their time. I think mm. when Pulp broke through, I think from memory, Jarvis Cocker was in his early 30s, which for a pop-type group is actually quite, a, quite, quite an age. They'd been going for 15 years or something before yeah. they got that breakthrough. So it was quite old at the time. If you remember, a lot of the pop stars of the time were 22, 23, 24, that kind of age. Bono was 16. Yeah. yeah. And if you think of boy bands, they sort of tended to range from 17 to 23, 24. Mm. So to come in at, in his early 30s, he was one of the more mature people. And I, I think he was quite mature anyway, mm. even for a 31-year-old. Mm. He was certainly more mature than I was when I was 31. <laughs> So shortly after Pop's hiatus, Jarvis Cocker began his solo career, performing at festivals and touring. In 2006, he released his debut solo album, Jarvis, which showcased a departure from Pop's sound, and the album combined a mix of electronic, pop and experimental elements, demonstrating Cocker's willingness to explore different musical directions, coming from his upbringing and with his mum. I, I love that, though. interesting. I know, though. See, that's because he, he's someone who strikes me as someone who's not going for the commercial no. market. He's doing what he wants to do, something that interests him, something that challenges him. And he's not scared to try something different. No, and he doesn't really care whether it is super no. successful no. or not. In 2009, Jarvis Cocker released his second solo album, Further Complications. The album displayed a more energetic and rock-orientated sound, with songs like Angela and Leftovers capturing his signature wit and his lyrical depth. Throughout the 2010, Cocker hosted his own radio show on BBC Six Music, sharing his eclectic taste in music. Cocker collaborated with artists like Chili Gonzalez and Iggy Pop, contributing his unique voice to various tracks. In 2017, Cocker formed a new band called Jarv is and I'm having to deliberately say that very slowly so it yeah. doesn't just sound like his first name. Yeah. So the band is called Jarv Is. Yeah. And that marked a new phase of his musical journey. 
The band's name was obviously a play on his own name, and they performed new material, and their live shows were quite well known for their experimental nature and often incorporating multimedia elements. Yeah. So again, he's trying to push those boundaries and not really bothered about following a pattern or a thing that other people are doing at the time he wants to go and do his own thing. Yeah, I love that, Rome. Jarvis also spent some time transcending the arts, moving into acting. He made a brief yet memorable appearance in the film adaptation Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. He played a small role as a band member of the fictional wizard rock band The Weird Sisters, performing at the Yule Ball. His original scene was cut short, but most of the Blu-ray and DVD releases hold the original scene in full length with the whole three-and-a-half-minute song in bonus features. Cocker lent his voice to the character of P.T. in Wes Anderson's animated film Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'd have to look back at the film. Did you remember him being in the film? Harry Potter. Yeah. See, I haven't. I, I, I watched the first film, film and it, 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 it. You don't like Harry Potter, do you? you be honest. You, you, and you I like it. I like the fact that it got a whole generation of people reading, and I'm not just talking about kids. I remember when I'd be working in London at the time, and I'd get the train, and I every day I'd have my book with me, and I'd take out my Frederick Forsyth or my Wilbur Smith or something like that, and hardly anyone would be reading. And I found it really, really weird. And then suddenly, when Harry Potter really started to explode. Everyone started reading. Mm. It, it, it felt like mm. the days you forgot your book, you were like yeah. the only one on the train okay. not reading. And so I really respected it for that and I liked it for that. And obviously, I've taken one of our family down to the Warner Brothers studio. We've been, haven't we? And um, we went down and saw where the films were made and, and that kind of thing. But the first film I watched, I watched what was the first one called? Philosopher's Stone. Right. I found it boring. You might have shocked all of our viewers. I know, and I'm sure it's me and not the film. Oh, oh, yeah, I can tell you now, 100%, (laughs) it is you, not the book or the film. But I like, I'm quite eclectic in what I watch and what I listen to. I think it's because it was a little wizard boy, though. You couldn't get your head, you don't like wizard stuff. But like, little boy at school. I like Game of Thrones and stuff like that. But yeah, Harry Potter, I, Maybe I didn't really, I, I can't really say anymore. No, I almost no. feel like I'm having to try and defend yeah. myself. <laughs> and, and my daughter would be absolutely disgusted by yeah. me saying She that. is disgusted by you, knowing that... Just, just, just about that, I hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just, she sounds a little bit she shameful. Be, she, yeah, she would be. Yeah, she's a massive... She's a massive... Cocker's acting endeavours have extended to the stage as well. He appeared in a 2007 London production of Mother Clap's Molly House, and that's a play set in the 18th century London exploring themes of gender and sexuality. In 2022, he published something of a memoir called Good Pop, Bad Pop. After this podcast and the research, I'd quite like to read that. What I remember about it, and I never read it, uh, by the way. It's only in the last year. But what I remember reading when it was first released was mm-hmm. it's kind of like half of a memoir, half of the story. So I think there's some embellishment oh, in there, oh. I think. It's not, I don't think it's a full, proper autobiography no, in the traditional sense. Well. Yeah, or maybe I wouldn't then. It's either a memoir or it's a story. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you're better off checking rather than relying on me. I mean, look at me, my judgment is clearly terrible. I don't like Harry Potter's <laughs> films. Cocker lived in Paris from 2003 with his wife, Camille, and their son. They split amicably in 2009, 
but he stayed in Paris so that he could remain close to his son. And perhaps that's something that he'd taken from his dad's absence in his own life. Yeah, so he's with his wife. They've had a son. And then when they split up, he stayed in her spa. And he didn't speak French, by the way. He had no interest in learning French. No, I can imagine. I don't want to learn French. I admire that he's, he's felt that importance in his son's life to ensure he carried on over there. And when I'm sure it would have been much easier for him to migrate back to the UK. Yeah. But he's decided yeah. to, to stay out there to really be around for his son's childhood, which is something that he didn't get from his father. No. Hawkeye has been vocal about various social and political issues. He's participated in protests and demonstrations and used his platform to advocate for causes that he believes in. His personal life has seen his share of ups and downs including challenges such as mental health issues and periods of introspection. He's come a long way from the man who was squatting in derelict properties in the 80s. He's still friends with the members of Pulp, and they have often reunited for gigs. They initially reunited for a series of live performances in 2010, before going on tour in 2011 and 2012. Fair play to them. Yeah. It's great that they really never had any drama within the group, did they? No. You said something when we were talking about Pulp a few years ago, where you were saying... The reason they probably had that relationship was because of the longevity they had before they broke through and the fact that they weren't a manufactured no, band No, they were all friends at school. Yeah. Pop's reunion took a slightly different turn in 2014 when they embarked on a residency at the O2 Academy in Brixton in London. The residency featured multiple nights of performances allowing fans to experience a range of the band's material. In 2015... Pulp headlined on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury to live in a memorable set that reminded audience of their impact on British music. As we conclude this podcast episode, which explored the remarkable life of Jarvis Cocker, from breaking through to the Britpop movement to Mooney and Aunt Michael Jackson, <laughs> it's clear that his journey transcends the boundaries of music, encompassing artistry, activism, and a clear, genuine connection with audiences around the world. From his beginnings in Sheffield to his iconic status as the frontman of Pulp, Jarvis Cocker's distinctive voice, witty lyricism and unique persona have left a mark on British music and culture. And that is is the story of Jarvis Cocker. Wow. What a guy. So good. What a guy. That is is what it is. What a guy. Do, Do you know the word that really springs to mind when I think of Jarvis Cocker? And again, probably consolidated after I was going through this episode. Yeah. Integrity. To, to have been around for that amount of years, reinventing himself, trying new things. You know he's in his 60s now. I know, I know. That's scary. That's scary. But I think he's been fantastic. And yeah. I think integrity is definitely the way. No one else was wearing <laughs> the stuff he was wearing. No. And he just got on with it at he, school. He, and that started at but, school. Yeah, it started at school. But even when he was at the front of the yeah. of Top of the Pops, when he was on yeah. Top of the Pops, you watch back any of the TOTP episodes yes, that we yeah. do continually watch through. Yeah. No one else was dressed like him. No. He didn't care. No. He shot to Oxford. Mm-hmm. While he was earning all this money from being at the front of the Britpop movement, and remember, yeah. he's earning songwriting royalties yeah. as well because he's not just singing at the front, he's writing the songs behind the scenes. Yeah. He's got that money coming in, but he's shopping at Oxford because he wants to. <laughs> Sounds like Billy Piper, doesn't he? Because he, <laughs> he wants to. Because he wants to. <laughs> But yeah, what a great guy. Yeah. I've really got a lot of respect for Jarvis Cocker and it'd be hard to dislike him, exactly. unless you're a big but, Michael Jackson fan, I guess. But back in the day, you see, I, I liked a few of the songs, but I just, I, yeah, I, I didn't really know much about him. But, so it's been nice to sort of learn the, the man behind the name. Mm, yeah, I, I don't think I was a massive, massive fan of him as an individual. 
Yeah. I liked Pulp, but again, they weren't my favourite band or anything no. like that. But mm-hmm. looking back, they were a great band. They had some great songs. And he is a man with fantastic integrity who obviously had his own personal challenges. They talk about the mental yeah. mental health issues that he had. But he also had that issue with his father leaving yeah. when he was seven years old. And I know we can say that, yeah, lots of people have family breakups and stuff like that. But I don't know, that feels really... It's almost like the dad was there long enough for Jarvis Cocker to be a, a massive part of Jarvis Cocker's life. But then left when he was. Yeah. You know, seven years old, it's it's an incredibly impressionable age. So that would have been really, really difficult for him. All in all, fantastic guy. Really hope you enjoyed the episode today. Thank you very much for joining us on Talk to the Hand podcast. And we look forward to our next episode, which will be released next Tuesday. Until then, Talk talk to to the the hand. Hand.